Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Crossing Church, if you're thankful for Jesus, can I get a little whoop, whoop? I'm telling you what, I've been quarantined three times. I haven't had COVID yet. But every time I watch those baptism videos, I'm reminded you can't quarantine God. You know what I mean? Like he's always at work. He is the essential worker of all time. And he has not stopped moving one bit during this year. He's moving in people's lives and my hope and my prayer is that he'll move in your life today. I got tough medicine for you on the front end. My mama, makes better Christmas sugar cookies than your mama. It's just, it's just the truth. Uh, I got back from church on Sunday. My mom came down, she dropped off two dozen of her delicious cookies. And I was gonna take a picture of them and I was gonna bring uh, some of them out on stage this weekend and I was gonna give people a chance to eat some of them, but they are all gone. I put them up high. You know when you get a good gift, like a good food gift, you put it up high so nobody else can reach it? That's where they've stayed. Uh, I, would, I eat a pizza at lunchtime, and sometimes while I was eating that pizza, I'd be like, maybe I shouldn't eat the whole thing so I have room for some of those cookies. But through God's provision and strength, I was able to eat the whole pizza and some of those cookies. And here's why I'm telling you this. I like cookies. Uh, if you're a cookie person at all of our locations, just put, yeah. How many of you are Chips Ahoy people and you like the hard Chips Ahoy cookies, the, the bad ones? Raise your hand. And how many of you are Christians? You love Jesus Christ uh, and you like the soft Chips Ahoy, the red bag. We're a red bag church. That's right, Jennifer. We're a red bag church. And I like store-bought cookies, but there's something about mama's cookies. and. On uh, this, at the end of this weekend, I'm gonna put my mom's recipe out so that way you can try it and you've gotta do it with the icing. The icing's the most critical part. Um, and if you, here's the deal though, if you make these, uh, I need you to bring half of whatever you make to the church, okay? That's what I need. The reason I'm telling you about cookies is because the thing I hate about my mom's cookies is they just take so much time. They do, she's gotta make the dough, then she's gotta put it in the fridge and it's gotta rest overnight. And I'm the guy who, in that amount of time, I could go to Hy-Vee twice and get a couple bags of cookies and some ice cream. It's tough to wait on it. And I'm telling you this because the sermon I'm about to preach uh, is, is gonna take some time. Like it's not gonna come right out. This isn't a store-bought sermon. It's not gonna come through the drive-through window. I mean, I like drive-through windows, but there's something about a home-cooked meal that takes some time, the kind of meal that you can smell it before you can taste it, like you can feel it here before you actually put it in your mouth. And the reason I'm telling you that is that's the sermon I have for you. So like, it's not gonna grab you right away. I need like all of you at all of our different locations, to those of you watching online, we're glad that you're a part of our church as well. I just, I need you to like keep your phone down, not, you know, uh, talk to the person next to you as much. I need you to stay with me, please because in the end, you're gonna get to taste it. You're gonna get to taste the truth that God has for you, but it's not, it's not coming through the drive-through window. You can't just put it in your lap. You're gonna have to smell it for a while. 
So, if you're online in the chat, you can type in, I'm ready. If you are watching from one of our different locations, put your hand up, say, I'm ready. ready. Let's do it. Matthew begins his book and he is writing to a Jewish audience. I can't stress the importance of that last statement enough. He is writing to a group of people that God made promises to. Uh, he made a promise to Abraham that he would beget a nation out of him, that through him, a nation would be birthed. And that nation would be too numerous to count. Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel after he wrestled with God. Jacob slash Israel had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. And you can go and you can find on a map to this day, the nation, the people of Israel. To those of you who are struggling to kind of connect that, it would be like uh, Uncle Sam having 50 sons and each of those sons becoming a state in our union. Another name for the Israelites are the Jews. It's a synonymous name. And throughout the Old Testament, God had provided leaders to help the Jewish people connect with him. So uh, he would give them priests who would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people to God to help them get a right relationship. It would atone for their sins and restore temporarily a right relationship between the people and God. They, God also provided them with uh, prophets and prophets would speak on behalf of God to the people. And they would speak on behalf of the people to God. And then God also provided them with judges and then eventually kings, and the kings would rule the people and take care of the affairs of the government. And they had good kings and they had bad kings. And most Jewish people would agree that they've had mostly bad kings. And at the end of the Old Testament, there's a book called Malachi. And at the end of Malachi to the first book in your New Testament, which is Matthew, there's one little page as you're flipping through it, you end Malachi, then there's this blank page. And on that blank page represents 400 years of silence. 400 years without a word from God. 400 years and there's not a prophetic utterance. There's not an angelic appearance. It is silence. The people of Israel because they followed kings and those kings did not follow God, they've lost their entire identity. They've been taken over by the Persians, they've been taken over by the Babylonians, they've been taken over by the Macedonians, and they've been taken over by the Romans. Now I need you to, I need you to hear me say this. This is real life history. This is not Aesop's fables, this is not some, this is world history. When a Jew reads the Old Testament, they are reading the Old Testament like you and I would read U.S. history. It's a historical book to them of how their people came into existence. You can trace these, the Macedonians, that's Alexander the Great. You know these stories, you just didn't know that they were related to the people of God, that you didn't understand that they were related to, to you and to me. The Jews, because they've been taken over by all of these different warring nations, they've lost their sovereignty. They wake up each and every single day occupied and oppressed. Imagine going to a sporting event and it wasn't the Star Spangled Banner. 
It wasn't, oh, say, can you see? It wasn't the American flag that was raised. It was another one. It was an anthem that wasn't yours that was played. That is the world in which these Jews are operating in. Here's what we know. A man named Jesus was crucified under a Roman official named Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, after interviewing Jesus, put a sign above his head in three different languages, and what it read was, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. This Jesus that was on that cross, we know that he healed the sick, befriended the sinner, walked on water, fed the thousands, and claimed, and this is crazy, to be the son of God. We know this much, that whoever was on the cross on that terribly glorious day began his life here on earth, and we know where he began his life here on earth. We know that he began his life here on earth in a manger. So when you open your Bible to Matthew and you begin to see a list of names to a Jewish person, they're seeing so much more. I was working on this sermon and I looked over on my bookshelf and I found this. I forgot that I had it. I'd never opened it until I was working on this sermon. It's the uh, descendants and ancestors of Aaron and Ella Hensel. And reading that, I found out a little bit about myself. Uh, my name's Clayton, you guys know that. My dad's Marlon. Uh, his parents uh, were Aronel. Aronel's parents were Aaron and Ella. That's how they named him. They took both of their names, combined it. That would mean that like if Jennifer and I had run that same play, I would have a kid named Clenifer. <laughs> what a bad deal. I found out that my grandma that we always called Grandma Cleata, that wasn't her name. Her real name was Mamie. Both names, not that great. She got a raw deal, I guess it's in the family. Uh, I found out that Henry, when he was nine years old, came to America from Germany. And his father, Christian, was born in 1814. Just picking up this thing, I found out, us Hensels, we came here on a, the German ship Hansa in 1854 and settled just four miles outside of Donaldson, Iowa. That's where they set up the family farm you just see a dumb book, that's what I saw, and then I looked in there and I found, I found me. My mom's from southern Missouri, so I'm sure that her genealogy's carved on a tree somewhere and <laughs> we'll never really know everything that happened, but that's how I got here. Well, when, listen, when the Jews, when the Jews open up to Matthew chapter one, and they see way more than a list of names, they see that something is happening that's showing them that the long-awaited king, 400 years of silence, that the king has arrived. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse one. This is the genealogy, the origins, the beginning of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. You'll remember that the promise was made to Abraham that he would beget a nation. You may remember that God promised David that one of his sons would sit on the throne. And then you look at the name Jesus, even the name that Jesus is given to a Jewish audience would send up all kinds of flares. Jesus means God saves. Messiah, the other word for Messiah, 
is Christ. You sometimes hear people say Jesus Christ. That's not his first name and his last name. Christ is who he is. It means the anointed one. Now this would raise everybody's eyebrows. The anointed one. You see, the Jews would anoint their priests and they would anoint their prophets and they would anoint their kings. And so a Jew would see, here is Jesus, God saves the anointed one, and they would ask themselves this question, anointed unto what? Is he a prophet? Is he a priest? Is he a king? And the answer, he's all three. If you've been waiting for a ruler, if you've been waiting for a word from the Lord, if you've been waiting for someone to fix the sin problem that you have, you're waiting for a prophet, you're waiting for a priest, you're waiting for a king, and God, after 400 years of silence, breaks through with the embodiment of all three. As prophet, he speaks on behalf of God to the people, You'll recall what he says in John chapter 12, for I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. All that, or I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. It's safe to say that Jesus is a prophet. As priest, Jesus would have to intercede for the people. You remember maybe when we went through the sermon series on Hebrews chapter four. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin then let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That when Jesus is our priest, we don't need anybody else before us because we get to have access to God because Jesus has granted us that access. But what about King? I mean, it's safe to say that he's a prophet and it's safe to say that he's a priest, but is he a king? This is where, if you're a nerd, and I think, I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, there's some people who wanna nerd out for a little bit, it gets even better. Let me start you here. You see Matthew and Luke, Matthew does it in Matthew chapter one, Luke does it in Luke chapter three. They both give genealogies of Jesus. However, they do it in uh, different ways with different approach and different style. Matthew gives more of an overview and he works forward in time, starting with Abraham and ending with Jesus. But Luke, he works backwards. He starts with Jesus and works all the way back to Adam, the very first person that ever walked planet Earth. Matthew gives the overview listing only 41 names, and Luke is way more specific, offering up 57 names. But the biggest challenge to anybody who's willing to read them, and let's just be honest, when you're reading your Bible and you see the names, that's a skip week. If it's like if you're crossfitting, that's burpees. You're like, I'm not doing them. We're just going to skip over that. But if you were to read them, you'd look at the lists and you'd go, these lists aren't the same. How can you have the genealogy of Jesus 
and them not line up. Are you ready? Luke gives the genealogy of Mary. There's no word in the ancient language for father-in-law. And so he makes this sidestep and he starts walking through Mary's parents. He traces the lineage all the way back to Adam. And then he go, he talk, you'll see other notable names in there like Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. And then what you'll see hidden inside of here is you'll see the name David. I want you to pay close attention to this. And the son that it gives through which this genealogy comes is Nathan. Now, I want all of you guys to remember the name Nathan. We're gonna circle back to that in just a little bit. Here, here is what Luke is trying to tell you guys, that there is royal blood in Jesus's veins. If you're looking for a king, he's gotta have a royal lineage. And since, as we understand it, Mary was a virgin, she didn't have, he didn't have Joseph's veins or blood running through him. He only had Mary's. What he's showing you is that Jesus has the blood right to the throne. This is straight up and down Game of Thrones happening in your Bible reading, and you didn't even know, right? Now, Jesus has the blood right to the throne through Mary. Now, I want us to pay attention to what happens in Matthew. Matthew starts with Abraham and gives an overview of the genealogy. However, Matthew's genealogy is the genealogy of Joseph, which is a much more typical genealogy. You follow things through the lines of the father. And if you're reading it in the original language, it almost has this rhythm to it as you're reading through all of the verses in Matthew, in Matthew chapter one, you just start going on and on and the word would be begat and there's 39 names and it's just 39 names and begat. Abraham begat Isaac, begat Jacob, and so on, just begat, 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 begat. And then verse 16, the entire rhythm that's set up comes to a screeching halt. It's like a hard e-break with a followed by a right turn, drifting through the corner of scriptures. It like brings everything to a stop and it says this, Matthew chapter one, verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. This pattern comes to a stop and it sidesteps. Now, if you're tracing through Joseph's genealogy, you'll start to see these names. You'll see the same name. You'll see David. But this time, you'll see a different name. It's not Nathan. It's Solomon. God promised that one of David's offspring would sit on the throne and be the ruler of the Israelite people, who would be the king of the Jews. And Mary is the blood right through Nathan, but Joseph is Jesus's legal earthly father, thus establishing Matthew is saying that Jesus has a legal right to the throne. So here's Jesus born in this manger and he has the blood right and he has the legal right to be called the king of the Jews. Now, this might help you understand 
Why, when Herod, after he visited with the Magi, had all of the boys two years of under, or two years and under in Bethlehem killed. Because there was a king that had been born and he didn't want anybody to usurp the throne. Even though Herod himself was not even a full-blooded Jew. However, there's something way more to this story. We already know that Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. Both texts go out of their way to make this point. Jesus isn't just king of the Jews by legal right and by blood right. The text goes out of his way to say that this child that has been born was born of Mary and by born of God himself. That boy in the manger is not just the king of the Jews. That boy in the manger is the very son of God. In 70 AD, years after Jesus died, the temple was destroyed. And all of it, and inside of it, all of the uh, genealogies were destroyed, all of them. That means that to this day, there is no way for anybody, any Jew living today, to trace their genealogy back to the line of David. The reason that's important is because Jews right now are still waiting for the promised one to come. In fact, if you go to Israel right now, you can go to the Wailing Wall, which is the only wall that was left after it had been ransacked in 70 AD. The Jews go to the Western Wall, they call it the Wailing Wall, and they go there and they pray, and they put prayers in the cracks of the foundation stones, and they pray for the Messiah to come, and they pray for the coming of Christ, and for the temple to be rebuilt, not knowing that he's already been here. Another interesting thing happens inside of Matthew's genealogy. He does something that nobody ever does. He mentions the women. In fact, he doesn't just mention one woman, he mentions five women. Now that doesn't seem scandalous to you in today's climate, but back then that stood in absolute opposition to Jewish culture. A good Jewish man would wake up every single day and he would thank God that he had not been born a slave, he had not been born a Gentile or non-Jew, and that he had not been born a woman. Ladies, can you imagine hearing your husband's prayers each morning? Dear God, thank you for not making me a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. And you're like, oh, that's such, I just, I just married great, right? Okay, they, they had such a low view of women that they wouldn't even allow them to be a witness in court. And here in our Savior's genealogy, we find five women. Now. We all know Mary, we're big fans of her, we think she's great, and you know, that's all good. So we got, let me, I gotta find Mary in here. Give me a second, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, she's like the nicest one out of the bunch. But then you're kinda going, hey, if we're gonna finally give women their debut on the big stage, could we pick some better ones? Because the other four are pretty rough. I mean, the first one that shows up is Tamar. Tamar was an adulterous woman. She covered her face with a veil and she pretended to be a prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. Not the person I want in my genealogy. Uh, you go a little bit deeper and there's another woman that shows up. Her name's Rahab. She was a Gentile prostitute from Jericho. 
She hid the Israelites in her house when they were spying on Jericho. Those of you who remember the story, uh, the, Jew, the Jews crossed and entered into the promised land over the Jordan River, and the first place that they stopped was Jericho, and they walked around the city seven times, and the walls came down. Guess who was living in the walls? Rahab. And because she had hid the spies, they said, anybody who's in your house, all of your family will be spared. And so her family huddled in the walls while the walls came down and they came out alive. A Gentile prostitute makes it into Jesus' genealogy. <laughs> oh, it gets even better. Right after that, you have Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. An entire group of people built out of an incestuous relationship. They were Israelites' most hated enemies and they were known for child sacrifice. They were as bad as it gets and you're going through Jesus, the perfect one of God. You're going through his genealogy. The women finally make it to the stage and you're like, prostitute, prostitute, incest. And then there's the woman and they don't even mention her name, but you know her name. It says it right up here. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. She was taking a bath on top of a roof. King David was supposed to be off at war, but he stayed back. He sees her and he desires to have her and he brings her into his house. He has sex with her. Then she starts to conceive a kid. And so then David has one of his best friends, her husband, killed. Fun fact, remember when I told you to remember the boy, Nathan, the name Nathan? which is on Mary's side. Historians believe that that was the very first person or first child that Bathsheba had the opportunity to name. And she named the child Nathan, which is the same name as the prophet who confronted David about sleeping with her and having her husband killed. This woman was ice cold, okay? She's tough, she's way tough. She's like, yeah, I'll name him. I'll name him Nathan, okay? She's bad to the bone. Look, inside of this, do you see what's happening? Inside of Jesus' genealogy, you can't help but see something special happen. The barriers between men and women start to come down. The barriers between Gentiles and Jews start to come down. The barriers between good people and people with checkered pasts start to come down. There is indeed this mystery in the manger. And what makes it so mysterious is that when you and I look in there, we can't help but find a little bit of us. We can't help but look in that manger and mysteriously find something that we can relate to. The ruling elite and the poor and the uneducated. Families who have it all together and families who've been torn apart, they can all look in that manger and see something. I remember struggling with how to be a good stepdad. Do you know I found a little bit of comfort in the fact that Jesus had a stepdad and Joseph was one? We were interviewing someone to work at our church this weekend. He had had an opportunity to interview at another church and he came from a blended family. And when that church found out that he had a blended family, they ended the interview. You wonder, did they read the genealogy or did they skip over it too? Why is this important? Matthew and Luke go to great lengths to prove that this mystery in the manger is the Son of God. If you haven't started to smell it yet, you should start tasting it really quick. Through different eyewitnesses, God himself confirms this message, once at Jesus' baptism and once at the transfiguration. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this God speaking on Jesus' behalf at his baptism. It says this in Matthew chapter three, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. But Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were, say this word, eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came down from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard his voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Here is why this is important. Because when Jesus says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You and I can know beyond the shadow of a doubt for that to be true, because the man who hung on the cross began his life in a manger, and we can trace the genealogy of that boy in a manger all the way back to not just being the king of the Jews, not just being the promised priest, not just being the promised prophet, but actually being the very son of God. And you have to love somebody a great deal to send your son. And so to all the people who are wondering where has God gone in 2020, to all of the people who are feeling abandoned, to all the people who are feeling like nothing is going your way, what you have lost sight of is you have more than you could ever need. God has not abandoned you. He loves you. He wouldn't send his son to die on the cross just to abandon you in the middle of a pandemic. He hasn't taken his eye off of you. When it says that it's God's son and that God sent him on because of his love for you and for me, we can cling to it. But the second reason is just as important. Jesus came into the world through broken people. Jesus came into your world through broken people. And the beautiful truth is, Jesus still comes into the world through broken people. He comes into the world when broken people who have checkered pasts and messed up testimonies, people who've made bad decisions, had jail time, had bad relationships, made bad calls, had bad work history, people who don't have it all together, God still uses those people to bring Jesus into other people's world. And just because your family tree is full of broken branches doesn't mean that God can't use you to mend them. And you might be going, but Clayton, for God to use me would take a miracle. Well, just so you know, that's the kind of stuff that our God specializes in. After Mary got done talking with Gabriel and she was asking herself, I'm gonna have a child and I'm gonna be a virgin and he's gonna be Emmanuel, he's gonna be God with us, how is all of this gonna take place? And the angel replied with these words in Luke chapter one, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. I want you to think about that as we move to a time of decision. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.